I described the idea that uh, when you just took over GE Ventures in 2012, we were honored to be your first partner. And um, we took it seriously and we continued to think that you have such a unique way of looking at entrepreneurs, innovation, not just here in the US, but globally. But I was really taken back by something I read about you in the press release when it was announced at the end of 2017 that Sue Siegel, who had been the CEO of GE Ventures, was promoted to the Chief Innovation Officer of General Electric. And first of all, I want to give a round of applause because in a, in a, in a, world, where, in a world where a lot of gravity is on these big organizations, not, uh, they didn't just put someone in that role, but they put you. And I want to read a quote because it was really interesting. Um, when you were promoted, the announcement that was in the uh, many press releases, or I should say articles about this, um, John Flannery, the new CEO, said, Sue combines the operational excellence with an entrepreneurial mindset to identify and unlock new value for GE. And so, as part of that, my question to you is, what is this Sue Siegel mindset? <laughs> well, first of all, let me just say something, and that is, he talks about we being there from the beginning as it relates to Startup Health, and that was an honor for us to do that. Let me, let me just say it was our privilege, and frankly, we knew how to make sure that we were hanging our hat on with winners. And as you guys can see over the last few years, that's exactly what Steve and Howard and Unity have done to really build this up into this army of health transformers. And frankly, we so need that from an inspirational perspective, particularly in these times of what we see to be so much noise out there. Bringing the power of what you guys do together and being able to articulate those stories out to the greater world is so, so impactful and frankly very inspiring. But to turn to your questions, I don't think it's a Sue Siegel mindset. I think that it's very much a growth mindset. Um, and all of you already have it. And I'll, I'll, you, know, you know what we're talking about when we talk about the entrepreneurial mindset. At a company like GE, you know, we have 300,000 people. We're in 185 countries. It's huge. We're in a number of different industries, healthcare, aviation, transportation with locomotives, the world of energy. We produce over 33% of the world's energy off of GE systems. I mean, you think about that, right? So we're big. We're really big. Where you have big, you have to have a bit of standardization. You have to have guidelines. You have to have some rules of engagement. So the entrepreneurial mindset, although people have it innately, the practice of it hasn't been as institutionalized, and that sounds so oxymoronic, as I think we all like. But the key to being able to do that is taking what you guys do on a daily basis, this entrepreneurial mindset, and being able to actually industrialize it and scale it. So we bring VC thinking into the mix, and I was a VC previously and continue in my ventures role, um, and bringing that where you have milestone-based funding, you have experiments, taking risk, being able to understand what risks you have to mitigate, and being able to actually bring other people into the equation. So you're bringing it experts into the equation versus trying to do it all yourself. That's fairly new to big companies, and that's what we've been trying to bring into this. But you mix that up with the world of the operating rigor and the operating executive, and when you have them together, it's really powerful. And that, to me, is ambidextrous leadership. And more and more, you do it in startups all the time, 
and we have to do it in bigger companies, and bringing them together is just heady stuff. I mean, it's really, really heady stuff. So, in the role of CEO of GE Ventures, it was one thing. Now, in the role of, of, of Chief Innovation Officer, what's the biggest challenge? Again, you know, it's almost like going up to the next yeah. level across the organization. What's the biggest challenge to maintaining that on a daily basis? Well, um, I think what we're going to try to do next, and, and I'm just so you guys know, I'm 60 days into the job, so it's not as if I have it completely nailed down yet, and believe me, I'm in my learning mode as, as I really try to put this into place. And it is the first time GE having been recognized for 125 years to be a very innovative company, like we invented the X-ray, we invented a number of jet engines. I mean, you name it, we've probably been involved in it in some way, shape, or the other. I have to bring to the table something a little bit different than what has been done. And it's, to me, the mix is sort of people, technologies, and then growth models. And growth models have a number of different things actually involved in it, which are either new funding vehicles, new types of partnerships. More and more, you're starting to hear about partnerships that are not just about VCs and startups and corporations, but now you've got governments coming into the equation in a very big way. We're seeing that all over the world. And in addition to that, you've got the NGOs and you have the funders like Gates Foundation and a number of different others. And now you have a value stack of funding that isn't pure one type of funder. More and more you're gonna get that and understanding that value stack is gonna be very important. So for, for me, my belief is those growth models have to come into the equation within GE. And I think we also have to take some of what we've done in GE Ventures and actually take that globally. We've really focused in US, we focused in China, and then we focused in Israel. And now we want to take it much more globally. And so that's part of the equation of what we're going to try to do. All right, so before we move off mindset, I want to have one last personal question. So you get up in the, <laughs> you get up in the morning, yeah. and you've got the texts and the emails and your agenda and meetings and things like that. What do you do to get yourself reset to go into each day without getting overwhelmed by 11 o'clock to be able to feel at the end of the day like you had a successful day. So he presumes that I do something. <laughs> and if I told you I did, I'd be lying. So the honest to goodness truth is as soon as I wake up, and I know this is terrible, so you know we're here in a health conference, I literally pick up my phone and I start reading all the news. And I get on Twitter and I get on, you name the different feeds that I've got and I get so many of them. And I spend an hour fueling myself. And that is my sort of escape. Now, you might say that's not healthy because it doesn't quiet the mind. But I will tell you, it's the way that I get a little bit of just downtime all to my little bitty self. Not healthy, but it is what it is. <laughs> well, uh, it's working. And uh, what you're doing is pretty incredible when you think about innovation from a company as large as GE. When you, when you think about kind of the yes you gave to John Flannery when he, I'm sure, offered you this very well-deserved job. When you thought about what would be wonderful to have happen as a result of you being in this role and GE really embracing your leadership in this role, what did you see as success measurement? Uh, you know, if I, if I really had my dream, it would be that GE would be known as the partner of choice to the entrepreneurial community. That, to me, would be just fabulous because I fundamentally believe what's happening right now in transformation is happening all over the world and it's happening with people like you guys and it's happening in a way that is so fast. You know, the pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. All right? 
Everybody agree with that? The pace of change will never be as slow as it is today. The only way we advance what we need to do for the world, and I don't mean that in a corny may, I truly, truly believe it, is there has to be this notion of partnership between the entrepreneurial community, the entrepreneurs, the startups, and the world of folks like ourselves. And that we need to understand new rules of engagement because we're rewriting them. We talk about it, but I don't think you can see partnership after partnership after partnership after partnership across the board that you're able to say, here's the template. We kind of know how to do that big company to big company. We even know how to do that small big, uh, mid-sized company to bigger company. We don't necessarily know how to do that just yet for the entrepreneurial companies and the bigger companies. And being able to get that kind of platform in place, to me, globally, that we bring our scale to actually help you get introduced into continents you haven't had a chance to explore, and to do it in a way that actually advances humankind, that's success. Now, that won't be just in 2018, so don't hold me to that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we're, we're going to give it a try. <clears throat> um, when, when you really looked at what you've done with GE Ventures over the last six years, you went from just investing in startups to building a whole platform to really go beyond. Um, and before I ask you to kind of elaborate on some of the things you've done to grow the number of things that you do to help the companies you invest in, yep. I'd love to hear what you consider over the last five years to be different than the last 20 years when it comes to entrepreneurs and big companies working together. And then as part of that, I want you to kind of jump into, because I think it plays right into what GE Ventures has done to add on to the things they're doing for entrepreneurs. Yeah, let me try to um, dissect that. And, and, and Steve is a little bit more intimate with some of the things we've done. So for the sake of getting everybody more or less grounded on what we've been trying to do is, when you talk about ventures, the first thing you think about is equity investing. So it's money into a startup, cap table, helping to build that company, exit. Lots of success. We won't talk about the failures. And so that's one thing. But one of the things that we knew that had to happen is innovation doesn't just stop there. Entrepreneurship doesn't just stop there. And to build that out, you've got to do what lots of venture firms do. And having come from a venture firm myself, bringing that into GE was actually pretty important. So the likes of an EIR. So all of you know what that is. Well, at GE at the time, and a lot of other companies, bringing in EIRs, and I've done about 150 benchmarking meetings with a number of big corporates who wanted to understand what we've done at GE Ventures. EIRs is not something that comes into the equation because the notion of EIRs is that you're not an employee, you're coming in for a project, you're probably leaving, Think about that in a big corporation when you think about IP and, in, and, and the notion of confidentiality, very different. So getting that kind of cultural infusion and fluidity was actually pretty important. We have now about 26 EIRs in place that have come and gone, um, and we're going to continue to build that up, and now we're going to scale that all over the world as a real concept. A second thing that we've tried to do, and you've heard this a lot with the venture firms, but trying to do it with the corporates is, bring what we've called our EDGE program, and this is the commercial activation, if you'd like, for the startup community, where we're actually bringing a tremendous amount of things to you. I'll give you an example, and Steve, you've participated in a few of these. I think Unity's participated in a few of these, too. We do something that is called our leadership training or a tremendous amount of different types of training for the entrepreneurs. And you know, GE is known to do leadership universities, if you'd like, and we invest about a billion dollars a year in leadership training and management and so forth and so on. When you think about that, why not offer that up to the entrepreneurs too? 
and to give them a sense of, of a place to go and have a little bit of time where they can reflect on their leadership skills and actually network with other CEO leaders or CFO leaders or whoever's in the C-suite to be able to get that kind of development. We, we also offer, of course, share services so that the, you might imagine our travel um, discounts and whatnot are pretty good because of the volume we have. We offer that up to our you know, portfolio companies and a lot of other different things that I just don't have the time to spend on. But what we've done there is that's just the venture investing portion of it and really helping portfolio companies grow. Then we, I was asked to take on the licensing business at GE. And um, I've run licensing groups before. I myself d did a lot of licensing. And my first answer, just so you guys know, was no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that didn't stick. So I got it. And I said, all right, if we're going to do licensing, it can't be the classic licensing. We have to innovate how licensing is done, too. And so what we've done is on this same business platform, essentially said, how do you take licensing to a new level that creates value and does it in innovative ways? <clears throat> so we've used our intellectual property, not just in classic, traditional royalty streams, but also to use it to drive equity positions into companies that we will co-start with incubators and accelerators. And we've done about six or nine of them now, don't hold me to that, in a new model that you start to bring together the EIRs, the intellectual property, different assets that GE might have, and you go after what is the problem we're trying to solve and we've created companies around that. And then last but not the least, we started companies from scratch and we do that with a group that we call our new business creations group. And that is, taking and looking at a problem and saying, what do we want to do? And starting a company from scratch. And we've done that several times now, I think six times now. And some of them you might know in the health space, Evidation Health, which um, is led by uh, um, Deb Kilpatrick. Um, another one is Vinetti, which is in the cell therapy space, and that is led by Amy DeRoss. And then another one is Drawbridge Health, which is all around disrupting the blood collection marketplace, and that is led by one of our um, um, CEOs by the name of Lee McCracken. So it gives you a little bit of a sense of being able to bring the spectrum of things to a big corporation where you guys might say, oh, come on, we do that all the time. It's very new to our environment, and now we're going to scale that and take it bigger over time. That's fantastic. And, and what I, what I think is fascinating is as you, as you look at this, you're, uh, this platform is taking you to a lot of different places and regions all over the world. Um, when you get to meet with the entrepreneurs, the investors, the different people around the world, because I'm trying to get a global perspective here, um, you've been in healthcare a little while, long time. 30 uh, plus years. 30 plus you, years. You I don't say know. it. <laughs> um, but you've been the entrepreneur, the CEO, the VC, and now going from CEO G Ventures, now Chief Innovation Officer. What excites you most about where we are in healthcare today? And I want to really contrast that with the past 30 years and why this is such a unique moment in time. I think it's all about convergence, and you hear it said all, of the, all the time. What has happened is a lot of times you have convergence, but things aren't necessarily completely at the same speed. But now you've got data, you've got computing power, you've got cloud, you've got AI, you have automation, you have entrepreneurs that are willing to take risk. You've got so much capital, it's not even funny, almost too much capital <laughs> floating around. And you have a, a time that is ready to receive, where people are starting to understand what it means 
to be an innovator, that actually entrepreneurship is a word that people understood. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, just seven or eight years ago, I would go around the country and I would talk about entrepreneurship or I would talk about VC and I'd ask people to raise their hands and they didn't know. And you might go some places where they still don't know. Well, around the world, it's sort of now getting to a place where people know innovation and entrepreneurship is legitimate. They want it in their world. They talk about Silicon Valley as being the model, of course. Um, they, they, know, they should know about New York, I mean, seriously. Um, but they really do want to know, how do I bring this together? So what's different is there is such an awareness of convergence and, and the power of that, those converging technologies. The other thing is the reality of our health has become such that the crisis we had in healthcare that was so described, which by the way hasn't gone away, but we don't call it that anymore, just five years ago when you know, the ACA was being talked about and affordable, and what were the three premises? Cost, quality, and access, right? When we started to talk about that, it became something that people got educated on. And now what's happening is, not only are they educated, they know they need it. And because of the technological advancements, people fundamentally believe we can live longer, we can leave, live healthier, and we need to afford it. And the shift towards consumerism, where all of a sudden it's hitting our pockets, everybody's aware. So we all know that, and it's that convergence of all of that that makes this such an incredible time for your health transformers, for our health transformers. And we really want to be able to do that. Now, do I get to ask a question? Because you've been asking all the questions. Absolutely, Sue. So, so <laughs> he doesn't get to get interviewed very often. So I, I said, I only agree to do this if you let me come ask questions on you. So first of all, I want us to celebrate Steve Krein and the Startup Health Group for all that they have actually done. So when, when you first started out, and I just asked them just a, a minute ago, um, you had this vision of what it was going to be. Did you ever doubt for a second that it would turn out to be the successful platform that you've created? And where next? Tell us about that. So the, the very quick answer is never for a second. And in fact, over the last seven years, we've only grown more confident and more ambitious about what we're you know really doing every day, which is... Um, very much similar, words have been tweaked a little bit, but this idea of building a global army of entrepreneurs, we call them health transformers, yep. who are working on these health moonshots to improve the health and well-being of everyone in the world. And without a doubt, there were, you know, there's not a day that goes by where people don't doubt, people don't ask or push back or, or wonder. But what's amazing is since Uni and I laid this vision out, um, actually at the White House, uh, June of 2011 to President Obama and Vice President Biden, who's going to be here tomorrow, uh, we really outlined something that we believed that was uh, not just realistic. We knew it was going to take a long time, but it was going to take a lot of people to believe. And that even though we were just kind of putting a stake down on a 25-year mission, um, we're now seven years in. And um, it seems as though we've done a pretty decent job of attracting all of the believers that are as excited about accomplishing and trying to achieve moonshots in health. Um, and what's really exciting is each and every day, the new people that join the army or join our partner network or invest in our organization, um, we're finding there's a lot of people who have this mindset that believe that we're at this unique moment in time. 
And we knew that, you know, if you look back, we've been entrepreneurs for 20, 25 years. This one industry has not been transformed by digital hell, I mean, by digital or technology or data, education the same. And we just were not comfortable just resting on this idea that, well, let's let all the entrepreneurs and investors try. But if we could link arm in arm as a global army, we just believe that while no one person or organization knows what's going to work or what's not going to work or who's going to be helpful, who's not, if you start to have people raising your hand, and we started this the first day we announced Startup Health in 2011, join the movement. There's now hundreds of thousands of people now around the world that are attracted to the entrepreneurs and the organizations and startup health itself. And so, no, I mean, from my standpoint, from Unity's standpoint, and all the great team members and all the great people that have been a part of startup health for the last seven years, including yourselves, um, it's really just amazing to do it as part of something bigger than any one of us. And so, um, I always say, as I went over this morning, one of our eight mindsets is, you are confidently ambitious and it continues to grow. And I believe that, and that's for me every day, getting up and just knowing that we are doing this and it's working. It's gonna take a little while, but it's working. I have to tell you a story. So um, I joined in 2012 and Steve came and said, um, I have this, we're gonna to try to do something. And we're, we've started an academy. And I started to ask questions because, you know, as a VC, you do diligence and you start asking lots of questions. I think it was a little bit of a pain in the butt um, on the <laughs> questions. Never. And I, and I could tell he was creating his vision and refining it as he was speaking to me. And it was, it was really like, As wow. every good entrepreneur does. <laughs> as every good and excellent entrepreneur does. And, but I got entranced because he described this journey with entrepreneurs that was essentially a three-year journey and beyond, and being able to take them through the various stages and how they were gonna set up the infrastructure to do it. So we were like, okay, we're in. And then he went on to describe, we're gonna take this global. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, because you guys know, right? Just like developing a platform, you do your first application and you do that well, and focus, focus, focus. But Steve was like, we're going, we're going. And now where are you? How many countries are you in? Uh, we're in 18 countries, six continents, still waiting on Antarctica, uh, 400 uh, individual entrepreneurs, but over 200 companies now. And, um, and what's fascinating is you actually were the one that said, if you're going to do global, let's do it together. Our, one of our first joint companies, Oxitone, which is here, is in That's Israel. Yep, yep. And it was, we had to figure everything out on how to go <laughs> beyond the U.S., but it was within a matter of months that we shifted to really go and do it. And yet, 18 countries later, and it's pretty powerful. I, I think it's fantastic. Now, I'm going to switch gears for two seconds, and I know we're going to have to wrap up um, pretty quickly, but we have to talk about one thing. How many of you guys watched the Golden Globes last night? Clearly you were busy. It was awesome, go, go watch some of it. It was an interesting time, and you guys have felt it in 2017. And it's a time of hashtag me too. How many of you know about hashtag me too? Yep. Um, and it was a time that was uh, challenged as it relates to, to women and the world of diversity. And so we've seen a tremendous amount happen in the entertainment world, in the financial world, and even just in our close ranks within the VC community, where in fact there has been a sea change, if you'd like, in terms of the awareness that's going on. And this is something where it has been men stepping up, saying we need to make change, we need to embrace what's actually happening, 
and we need to be absolutely more inclusive. And you guys saw Reid Hoffman really take that position and it just carrying out. So Steve, for you, I'm curious because I know you're a believer, but I'd love for folks to know how much you're doing. Talk a little bit about how you think about it and what you're doing in terms of helping the world of women entrepreneurs and women leaders. Absolutely, and I want to actually flip it right back to you because I want to ask you the same question. Um, from the very beginning, I mean, Startup Health's team, I want to say, as just an overall thing, we're now over 25 people, mostly women, about two-thirds women. Um, what's... what's <laughs> um, I want to say our leadership team is about 80% women, and, and that's another <laughs> thing. And, and, and what's really fascinating is over a third of our portfolio companies are led by or co-founded with female entrepreneurs. And while I'm very proud of all, the, all of those numbers, they could be better and we could do better. And we, we, we are continuing, and this is not just here in the US, around the world, to look for and to seek out and to ask for those entrepreneurs, those partners that also believe and are also doing the kinds of things that we believe are important around healthcare. But I think the idea is it's an important conversation. Quite frankly, we were just doing it. We didn't do it purposely. We didn't, just the way we do it. You know, You're almost gender blind, tot right? Totally it's gender just, blind to it. And, except um, with your wife, I hope. Well, whatever. it's funny because everybody knows my partner, Unity. Most people who don't, haven't met Unity realize he's a, he, he's a, he's a man. <laughs> they figure my partner's a Where woman and they're expecting that, which is kind of funny. But the idea that we, from the very beginning, you and I have been completely synced on this idea, yep. but it wasn't like we seek it out. We look, we look for more and wish for more and hope for more yep. entrepreneurs, but we're interestingly seeing an increase in the number of applicants applying to Startup Health that are female, te either led teams or, or female co-founders. And um, from my standpoint, you know, I think this is an important conversation that has thankfully not just been in Hollywood, but has been, you know, in fact, maybe even kind of kicked off a little bit in the venture and the entrepreneurial worlds on the East Coast, on the West Coast and around the world. So um, it's important, it's critical to us, and we're gonna continue to carry that torch. Well, thank you for doing that, because it's so ever so important, um, to say the least, and, and you're getting people really nodding their heads. Let, let me, can I just do a quick survey here? Because I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Raise your hands if you know what mansplaining means. About 25%. Raise your hand if you know what man-terrupting means. So um, what about on-ramps and off-ramps? Cinderella complex. Lean in. Confidence gap. So those are terminology that a lot of women probably know a lot better than men. So I don't at all fault the men for not knowing it. What I will say is the only way we make change happen, be it for women or for inclusive diversity, is because everyone's in the conversation. I say this to the women. We're very, very familiar with a lot of our issues and we talk about them amongst ourselves. And we've had to create our own networks because we wanted to find a place where we could have empathetic type of conversations. But the reality of wanting to change and it really inducing change, it's gonna have to have conversation from both men and women. 
That's how the power of change actually occurs. And so part of what I would say, and, and, I, and I, you know, I talk to my sons about this because I asked them all sorts of questions and they're 24 and 20. I think I got that right. Um, and, and I you know, gave them this talk I was gonna give and I asked them to take a look at it. And, and one of the things I called um, the men and I was a little worried how it would come across is they become accidental misogynists. And they become accidental misogynists because of the lack of understanding, because we haven't had a chance to engage you as actively in the conversation and the education associated to diversity. And you hear it, and you're empathetic with it. You have moms and aunts and daughters and nieces, and you so want to make sure it's right for them, but you're not quite sure how to go about doing it. And what I invite you to do is ask the question. Ask your fellow entrepreneur who is female to give you a sense of give me some of that that we're talking about. Help me get educated. Because if I'm not educated, just like in anything else, it's very hard to help. And I, I would say that's a really, really important thing as we start to really get this continued, if I'd like, push of inclusiveness where you're bringing in race and you're bringing in gender and you're bringing in all sorts of thoughts and diversity of perspective, it's gonna be that important. So I would ask, that's my plea for 2018 and, and really something that I fundamentally believe in. And like Steve, um, you know, at GE Ventures and within GE, we've really put out there um, a balance the equation type of challenge for ourselves. We wanna have about 20,000 women scientists, engineers, computer scientists, et cetera, 20,000 of them in um, jobs that are the technical roles by 2020. And we're at about 14,780, just to give you a sense. So it's, we got some way to go, we do. Um, but this is around the world. And that's not to count all the PhDs and all of those that are not in the technical roles, but that, are, that did come from STEM, STEM leadership, uh, to say the least. But it's something that we're very, very committed to. And we're trying to do the same thing at GE Ventures. So thank you for letting me say something about that and for being such a leader in that particular no, space. No, th thank you. I love the goal of the 20,000 and the measurable um, element of that. It was funny because we were talking about the Startup Health Festival, and we were aiming to try to get 50% of our speakers and participants and presenters to be, you know, female this year specifically. I mean, just the fact that you thought about that is yeah. like, yeah, I love yeah. you, man, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to 25, but, but not for a lack of trying really hard. We got to 25%. Um, we're really proud of that, but it wasn't enough. And, and let me just say, he just said something for all of you, which is, you know, the NFL did this, and you're gonna say, the NFL, what the hell? You know, it's called the Rooney Rule. Adopt the Rooney Rule. And what is that? It's not that you have to hire in the diversity pool, but that in your pool of candidates, you have a diverse pool. You have to at least take that step, because if you take that step, it will encourage, in fact, the ability to at least know what your opportunity is overall. Excellent. Well, I, can we have time for one question? Are you okay with that or no? Oh, I'm okay. Are I'm you sorry. okay with I'm that? I'm looking over there for like so guidance. So if you've got a question for Sue, which I know there were many that... Oh, no, I don't have time for questions anymore. <laughs> no, no, you have one... Oh, you don't... No, no, okay, I, do, I, do, go. I do, I do. Oh, she has one, she said. We got one question. Microphone? Any questions from the audience? We're going out? Yep, we're going out to the audience. Right back there, just get a microphone to the back and just introduce yourself. 
please. Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, my name's Emma Cartmel. I'm an investor. And I just read the latest startup health report that said there's close to $12 billion been invested in digital health over the last year. And I look at hospital operating margins, which have been declining. And I'm wondering how much longer this ride, this uptick of investment and increasing valuations is going to last for. And I'd love your opinion on that, Sue. Sure. Um, there is no doubt that there is a question of has there been too much investment in digital health? But I don't think that's ever just in one particular area. I think that question comes up as a field starts to get real traction and as a field starts to get real, um, if I'd like, a true reality. And the kind of focus starts to shift because it starts to say, well, what are the operating businesses within that? And I saw that in energy, and I'm seeing it in digital health, too. And what I would say to all of us is, it is up to us, if we want to continue this incredible transformation that's happening because of the digitization of health, and we fundamentally believe that this is the right place to be putting capital, we have to be committed to having true operating companies. Not just a product company that is purely one feature, if you'd like, but true operating companies. So ask yourselves, do I have a solution that's sustainable over time, and who is gonna pay for this? So that I know that I have both clinical utility or performance utility of some type, and I have a customer that's truly gonna pay. And it could be you know, either reimbursed or it could be through the consumer. You guys decide. But is it a sustainable business model? And I think that's part of the answer to your question of whether it's going to continue. I think there's a lot of different places that we're going to continue to see lots of capital go into in the space of health. I mean, the world of immunotherapy and cell therapy, you guys know, is just explosive, to say the least. You saw the 10 transformation areas, moonshots, that Steve talked about earlier this morning and have, has released out there. Those are tremendous areas. All of those have a digital component to it, though. So there's digital health companies that will get formed around those specific areas. And that's where I think a lot of money will go into, but they're gonna get classified a little bit differently. So it won't necessarily be seen as digital health, but yet it's the digital tools that are going to enable those answers that are actually required, even in those wet sciences, because it's all about the application that's actually gonna be developed. So those are just some very, very quick thoughts. Excellent. Well, Sue, I want to, first of all, thank you, not just for sitting down with me today and, and spending the time, but for the last six plus years of supporting Startup Health and Believing. Um, I know from everybody here and everybody watching on the live stream, thank you for not just being the traditional venture investor, but you've really made a difference. You've made a difference already in your life, and I know you're just getting started. <laughs> but thank you for not only shedding the light on these important topics and continuing to push the boundaries of everyone's thinking, but really carrying a torch that I believe everybody's going to be really excited about watching you and are cheering from the sidelines as you execute on this grand vision for transforming GE and this new role of Chief Innovation Officer. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a privilege. <laughs>